And Lord willing, we'll finish it, not next week, but on the week after. And then, for those of you who like to think ahead, I think we'll start a series on uh, Israel. So that'll be another stone we'll put up there as we try to build together our wall of core beliefs. And because Israel is mentioned so much in the Bible, I think it would be good for us to have a good proper understanding. What is God's role for Israel in the past and today? And does he have a future plan for Israel? So that's what we'll talk about, Lord willing, in weeks to come. Uh, tonight, we'll continue speaking about the church, and I must tell you, as I have uh, taken the opportunity to study about the church, it's really helped me to become reinvigorated, reenthused about its value. It's uh, the best thing going, the local church. When we started the series, we spoke about what it is, the local church. And then we spoke about its purpose. What is it designed to do? And tonight, I'd like for us to address this question with reference to the church. How does it work? Now, that's a complicated one, and we could spend many Wednesday nights on it, but I don't want us to miss the forest for the trees. So at the risk of oversimplifying, I've come up with an answer uh, to this question about how the church works simply by consulting two verses of Scripture, which I think are going to be familiar to most of you. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, and it's verses 11 and 12. And I wonder if I could invite you to uh, read these two verses with me in unison. If you'd like to uh, follow along with these words on the screen, then we'll all be in the same translation. So let's read it together. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Oh, the scriptures say much about the church, but boy, these two verses, Paul wrote them. He himself an apostle to believers here in Ephesus. These two verses encapsulate uh, or uh, sum up some of the most significant principles to glean about how the church works. And as I was studying it, I really couldn't get past the first three words. Do you see them? And he gave... Who's the he? Yeah, that's the Lord Jesus. He get, he's the head of the church, by the way. And um, it's his idea. And he so loves the church that he gave to it. It just occurred to me, I don't need, we don't need anything more than these three words in order for us to have the right attitude towards the church. I know today with some, uh, there's a question about why come? And is the local church of value anymore? Why should I invest in it? Why contribute to it? 
Uh, look no further. If the Lord Jesus, the head of the church, so loved it that he invested in it, he gave to it, well, I think that ought to be all the reason we need to stay committed to the local church. And he gave. You know, when you love something, you give to it. And so he did. And we know that the head of the church, the Lord Jesus, has given spiritual gifts of a diverse kind to church members. In a prior series on the Holy Spirit, remember we spoke about that. All manner of spiritual gifts, the gift of evangelism or the gift of encouragement, maybe the gift of administration or the gift of preaching or the gift of helps, all these wonderful gifts and many others are given by the head of the church to every individual member of the church. But I don't think that's what this text is speaking about. Now, you correct me if you think I'm wrong, but you know in your heart I'm not. <laughs> see, 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 though those are real things, don't misunderstand. This particular passage, I don't think, is speaking of uh, gifts that God gave to his people. No, I think this text is speaking about people whom God gave to the church as gifts. And so notice what it says. And he gave some as apostles. Those are people. See, some as prophets, other people. Some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. And so uh, this verse is not really about specific spiritual gifts given to God's people as much as it is about gifted people given to the church as gifts. And by the way, that's how the church works, through ones such as these. Notice who's mentioned first, he gave some as apostles and prophets. Do you know why they're mentioned first? Well, it's because they came first. They laid the foundation prophets laid the foundation of God's word in the old covenant and apostles and the new covenant. You, you, you can't have a building, a household of God, which we are likened to without a good firm foundation. These gifted men, apostles and prophets, laid a good firm foundation in the word of God, which they received. In fact, one of them is giving us these words right here in Ephesians, as I mentioned this is the Apostle Paul. Now, I, for one, we could differ over this lovingly. It's not that big a deal. But I think these two offices are temporary. In the same sense in which you only need one good foundation for a building, you wouldn't want to keep building the foundation. You would want to do so only if it was faulty. But since this foundation, the one laid by apostles and prophets, in the word of God, since it's not faulty, it's based upon his authoritative, inerrant word given directly to them. I'm just hard-pressed to see why we need another foundation. So I see these two offices to be extremely necessary, yet extremely temporary. And so the third one that follows adds to this. It says apostles and prophets, and then evangelists are the ones listed next. So here you have the prophets and the apostles and they receive the word of God and it's really, really, really good. 
And they communicated, and then alongside them come evangelists. Now, evangelists today kind of get a bum rap, especially if you attach the prefix televangelists. You know, that's, that's, that's not too attractive anymore today to be one of those, you see. But that's a bit of a shame because the word evangelist in the original language means a bearer of good news. So God communicated his truth to apostles and prophets, and it is such good news that you had a, a number of people who functioned as kind of itinerant ministers going here, there, and everywhere with this good news. They were evangelists, bearers of good news. Why? Well, because they wanted to birth new spiritual babies with the gospel message. The good news, think about it, of a God enfleshed, a God who we couldn't attain to but who reduced himself so as to make himself accessible to us, an enfleshed God who suffered and died in our place, a God who offered to us forgiveness and also adoption into his family. And so the evangelists are gifts given by God to take this marvelous gospel message here, there, and everywhere. So they were ministers going from place to place to tell people about Jesus. I think our present day uh, missionaries are uh, the equivalent, or even some in our midst who have this marvelously insatiable appetite to win people to the Lord Jesus Christ. They not only do that, but they stir up the rest of us to do the same. Have you run into anyone like that? They want to tell everyone around about the Lord Jesus. And they don't just want to, they do. In every manner of situation, they want to see new babies born into the household of God. So you have apostles and prophets, given his gifts to the church. Then you have evangelists, and notice who comes next, pastors and teachers. Now, here's something else we can differ about if you'd like. Some people see this to be a reference to two separate people, a pastor and a teacher. I don't. I think these are two descriptive terms for the same office. And I think what we have here are two words which uh, suggest to us the two primary functions of a pastor, which means shepherd. He is to shepherd, care for, uh, nourish, nurture, protect his flock, and he is to teach in all manner of ways so that the flock can grow and mature in the faith. The reason why I think this is a reference to the same person, the pastor teacher, is can you notice in your text how many times the word some is used? As I counted it, you can see the word some four times in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. He gave some as apostles and prophets, some as evangelists, four times, and yet there are five different named people. Because the last occurrence of the word some, the fourth one, uh, takes care of the next two, pastor, teacher, which suggests to me it's the same office. Uh, 
And so what you have are evangelists going about winning people uh, to the Lord Jesus. And then you have pastor teachers uh, coming along so as to care for them so that they can grow in the faith. So I was thinking about this today. If we could say an evangelist is like a spiritual obstetrician, then a pastor teacher is kind of like a spiritual pediatrician, you see? The obstetrician delivers the baby, and the pediatrician comes to make sure the baby can grow so as to mature and be healthy. So now we know something about how the local church is to work this way. The church works through spiritual leaders given by God to carefully shepherd the flock and trusted to them. That's how the church works. So the ministers of a church, and do you mind me uh, saying to you, it's always plural in the New Testament. Uh, it is not unusual for a local church such as ours to have a minister who is the senior minister or senior pastor. That's just good organization, it seems to me. But I can't find in the New Testament model a kind of a lone ranger mentality in leading a local church. We don't have that here. So though our senior pastor is surely the senior pastor, he has surrounded around him a staff of other pastors so that decision-making uh, can be a function of the pooled, we hope, wisdom of the staff. There is no senior pastor today who can do all the things that the flock needs him to do. He can't make all hospital visits, can't do all weddings and funerals, can't counsel with all people. Ours would love to do so if he was able to. He can't. And so the other ministers of the church... Uh, under the authority of the senior pastor, assist in carrying the load. So the New Testament model seems to be that in every local church, there are pastors slash teachers, plural, in every local church. And their job is to nurture the members. Now that's their responsibility. But the members have a responsibility uh, as well. And this is what I think is supposed to happen. The ministers of a church must lead biblically. If that's not happening, you need another church. The ministers of the church are supposed to lead biblically, and the members of the church must let them. I can tell you, as a pastor, one of the pastors here... I know that many of my comrades in other churches experience most distress when the membership refuses to allow them to lead. This is a very tricky thing today because today we value individualism where everyone wants to express an opinion, have a vote, and have a say. And so I'm trying to be kind here, but as a minister in the church, many of us feel that you think you can do our jobs better than we can. But don't you see God gave some as gifts 
to serve, never ever to impose, but to serve the flock. So you have the flock and you have the ministers of the flock. And even though we all contribute to the well-being of the body of Christ, I'm a little uncomfortable having to share this with you because I don't want to make it look like I'm tooting my own horn. I, I'm not, but I, I, do want to, I do want to understand how the church works. And uh, even though we all can share our opinions and so on and so forth, if you don't feel you have a ministerial staff specially called and equipped to lead out in a church, do you mind me saying this? What are you paying them for? <laughs> now, that's a little crass, but, but, but the democratic spirit has entered the church to such an extent that in a lot of churches, you can't get much done. Because everyone has an opinion about this, that, or the other thing. Could I tell you something now? This is going to sound a little arrogant, and I'm not afraid of that. It suits me. Um, uh, you can't do our jobs better than we could. You can't. There's a measure of calling and experience and training and equipping. We must not ever, ever lord that over the flock. Please don't misunderstand. A biblical leadership is servant leadership, not autocratic leadership. If we lead, it means to take the initiative in serving, not imposing. But, and that's our responsibility. And yours is to let us lead. Uh, the American church is really not to be a democracy. By the way, do you know that doesn't actually even work for America? I just don't remember the last time when one of my senators or congressmen called me and asked for my opinion before he or she voted. It's really a representative government, is it not? And so too is this a kind of a representative church policy, a polity. If we voted on every decision that had to be made around here, uh, we would not have any forward movement. I remember in one church I pastored, a lady objected because we changed our copy machine. It's a big church. We changed the copy machine after due diligence. Our administrative ministerial staff with skills in that area did their due diligence, renegotiating the contract so that we could save the church money. It's a responsibility of the staff and of the deacons to do this for a church. And she said to me, I don't remember voting on this. You see, that wouldn't be possible, would it? So the staff... The pastoral staff surely has a responsibility. It's a sacred trust. It's oftentimes abused. If there's abuse, oh, you must call the pastoral staff to account. We hold each other accountable. Don't misunderstand. This is no cultic kind of a thing. We would never say my way or the highway. That's not biblical leadership. Don't you understand? 
But if we're doing all right, if we're honoring God and our intentions are good, then the responsibility of the flock is to let the spiritual leaders lead. Ah, so that's a hard thing to do, but it's biblical. The church works through respectful submission by members to biblical leadership by ministers. I think that's the biblical model. That's how it works. The church works through respectful submission by members to biblical leadership by ministers. This is far into the culture in which we live Folks, I have to tell you, and so it's getting tougher, I think, for local churches to function biblically. In fact, there are two words which in our culture are almost vulgar today in the ears of most people, and they are these words, obey and submit. Those are like dirty words today, but not in kingdom culture, obey and submit don't have a negative connotation. In fact, those words are the way in which the church works. Let me call your attention, for instance, to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey, there it starts off <laughs> right away. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Shakespeare, in one of his plays, had one of his characters say, Oh, vile submission. Don't let submission to authority be a vile thing to you. It's a biblical mode. It's the way the church works. Obey your leaders and submit. So there are the two words which our worldly culture is repulsed by. Here in one verse, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Wow. If you're accountable to your spiritual leaders and are to respectfully submit to them, can you imagine what the leaders have to do when they stand before the head of the church? We have to give an account. How did we care for the flock allotted to our charge? I must tell you, folks, if you think we take that lightly, I know you don't. But sometimes we actually tremble. I must tell you, we're not adequate for the task. Don't you see? But this is the way God does it. So you don't actually submit to the person. You submit to the plan with which God has organized the local church. I don't know why he does this. But he takes care of his local churches through people who are gifts given to exercise spiritual care and leadership in the local church. And so it says they will uh, give an account. So let them, the leaders, look, let them do this with joy. See, this is an exhortation to the followers of the leaders. Let them, the spiritual leaders in a church, do this with joy and not with grief. Why? For this would be unprofitable for you. I have seen pastors do really well 
when the congregation are cheerleaders rather than critics. And I have seen pastors not do so well when they have to walk on eggshells because every Tom, Dick, and Harry has an opinion about how the pastors can do their job better. Now, that's, I'm not saying withhold input. I'm not saying that. Listen, I pastored a church one time, and uh, uh, we... Uh, spent three months poring over a financial issue. Three months. I was in on it because I was the pastor. I hated every minute of it. Oh, my goodness. I wanted to be studying the Bible, not these budgets. But it was part of it. We spent three months. We had experts and lawyers and accountants and godly people in the church looking over and we came up with a proposal to the church that we thought was in the church's best interest and I can't tell you how many people wanted us somehow to take them through three months of study so as to bring them up to snuff folks it's not possible you know what I think is a better thing to do when you vote in the church, it's a vote of confidence or not for the spiritual leaders of the church. Not so much for the specific issue, I have to tell you that, because it presumes you have as much information about the specific issue as do those who have spent months looking at it. You know, if I can give you an illustration, we have a visionary team doing all kinds of work good night, untold hours, and many more to come on presenting for us the proper design for our campus expansion. And there's so much that goes into it. They are, have developed tremendous expertise because they're invested in it. We have asked them to do this, and they have graciously accepted the responsibility, and that's what it is. I have to tell you, when the visionary team makes a presentation, I'm already ready to go, yes, I vote yes. <laughs> because I'm, my vote is a vote of confidence for the process. And the process is this church has asked representatives to carve out time to sacrificially lead out in studying all. Now, if you don't trust the members of the team, then you have a bigger problem there. You have a more fundamental issue. But if you do, you know these people and you know how they love the Lord and they're doing the best they can. I kind of think even if they make an error of the head, so what? I, my vote is, can I discern where their heart is? And if their heart is right, uh, my vote is yes, yes. I support them because I don't want to be on that team, do you? <laughs> so, so it would be wrong for me to challenge, I think, a decision of the visionary team. Don't you see? Because it would be presumptuously... Uh, um, uh, to imply I know as much as they do, but I, I do not. Sometimes when we counsel with our members biblically and seek to apply Scripture 
to their lives. For instance, just the other day, I, as lovingly as I could, tried to help a couple coming for marriage to see that living together prior to public exchange of vows was not God's perfect will for them. And so I wanted to encourage them to do it right from now on. And they thought about it and called me a few days later and said, we'll not need your services to officiate at our wedding. We've considered what you've said, and we think you are entitled to your opinion. You see, that's democracy gone awry. If it comes down to a minister's opinion has no more weight than someone else's opinion when it comes to interpreting and applying scripture, then what are you paying that minister for? I, I'm sorry to be so crass. If that minister has spent years studying the original languages and spending hours each week preparing for these things, how do you reduce what that minister is saying to you by simply saying you're entitled to your opinion? Now, there are opinions, I know that, but when it comes to handling a text of Scripture, wow, you're going to hate me for this. We're not equally good at it. That's all. Can you see yourself visiting your medical specialist? And after the medical specialist, having perused the results of your lab tests, giving you a diagnosis and a treatment plan, could you see yourself saying, thank you for sharing that, doctor. You're entitled to your opinion. at the risk again of sounding arrogant, we're entrusted with the watch care for your souls. We're equipped to do it. Nobody should be in full-time vocational ministry who ain't equipped to do it. If we're equipped to do it and we're doing it biblically, which is what we owe, you owe us submission. <laughs> I didn't say blind cult-ish submission. But please don't reject biblical counsel with this terrible phrase, you're entitled to your opinion. I shared once with a couple, one was a Christian, one was a non-Christian, that I could not officiate at their wedding for God would not permit it. And I shared with them, not my opinion, but 2 Corinthians 6, do not be unequally yoked. And I can't say, well, God, that's your opinion. <laughs> so I shared that again as lovingly as I could with the couple, and that's what I got. That's your opinion. You know, if it comes to that, we're really wasting each other's time. So, there is more unhappiness in full-time ministry today on the part of spiritual leaders because they're not able to do what they are called to do with joy. They're doing it with grief 
Because this spirit of rugged American individualism has gone awry, and today ministers are scrutinized and evaluated instead of respectfully followed. I don't get it. I don't get it. Listen, can I tell you something since our pastor is not here? Uh, <laughs> I want to tell you something. If you think our pastor's staff always, in the course of doing ministry together, always sees a particular decision the same way, well, that wouldn't be right. I mean, that doesn't happen in our family at home. It doesn't happen in our church family. But I am so thrilled to simply be able to say, oh, God, if our senior pastor in this area perhaps is making the wrong decision, you're big enough to cover for it. So it's easy to say, oh, God, would you give our pastor everything he needs to make the best decisions, and that includes input from the membership, from our deacons and our staff. But ultimately, we get out of the way, and we let the gift to the church. It says right there, the pastor is a gift. Pastor is a gift. We let the gift of the church lead. Why? Do you want our pastor to have to do his function with grief rather than joy? Nobody here wants that. So, um, you know what someone said one time? If you want a better pastor, pray for the one you have. We want to hold up the arms of our ministerial staff, especially our senior minister, our pastor. We don't want to be critical, do we? We want to be cheerleaders. We want to thank God. The Lord Jesus loved the church so much, he gave some as apostles and prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors. So anyway, uh, this is the way it's supposed to happen. So how does the church work? Look, the scriptures are clear. Christ, the chief shepherd, leads his church through his under-shepherds. That's how it works. Could I tell you something? He doesn't lead his church through democratic vote. Please don't misunderstand. We vote on certain matters here. It's wonderfully done, very appropriately done. Don't misunderstand. We can't vote on every decision that has to be made around here and still have forward movement. So uh, this is the way the chief shepherd operates. He leads his church through his under-shepherds. And notice... According to the passage under our consideration, what the under-shepherds are given to do. Look, for the equipping of the saints, those are Christians, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. See that marvelous word, equipping? Maybe your translation says preparing. It's a medical term. It was used with reference to a broken bone. A medical doctor would prepare it, would equip the person with the injury to be whole, to be well, to recover. The medical doctor would straighten out what's crooked. And that's the very metaphor which is used with reference to what ministers in a church are to do. Complete, um, make healthy, uh, straighten out what is crooked, uh, put in 
proper order fix, equip, and prepare uh, the saints, notice, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So how does the church work? Christ's leaders are to equip Christ's followers to serve for the benefit of Christ's body, which is the church. That's how it is supposed to work. Now, I haven't said much, have I, about specific church polity and the way it's organized. And the reason is, I don't know what to say. The New Testament really doesn't specify too much. And I think the reason is because every local church is supposed to form its organization according to local situations. What does the situation call for, you see? But one thing which is really, really clear is that God gives his gifts to the church, spiritual shepherds to equip the saints, other Christians, for the work of service with the objective that the body is built up. Now, this is another thing we don't like. We think the purpose of church is for me or you as an individual to have our needs met. And that is very, very important because every individual is very, very important to God and ought to be to the rest of us. But that's not how the church works, to cater to the needs of every individual according to their personal agenda. No, the spiritual leaders are given as gifts to the church in order to equip the membership to serve with a view towards the building up notice of the body of Christ. In other words, folks, there's something in view here far greater than the individual members. The whole, the local church, is far greater even than the sum of its individual parts. We all have our likes and dislikes, and we all have our agenda. No question about it. But it has to give way for the good of the collective body of Christ. You know what's... Um, a malady in our society today, and perhaps you're stricken by it. We're unsatisfied with life. It's a malady today. And I think one of the causes of dissatisfaction with life, I, I speak from personal experience here, I'm ashamed of it, but it's true, is to be stuck on self. It is to think that the purpose of the local church and everything else is to cater to your individual needs. And so if you don't get your individual needs met, you don't contribute to the church, you don't commit to the church, you leave the church, don't you see? It's very unsatisfying to think life's purpose begins and ends with little old you. You know what we need to be satisfied we need a divine opportunity to invest in something bigger than ourselves. That's the local church. I just figured out that the Lord Jesus invested in it, and I want to follow him and do the same. What an opportunity he has given us, whether we be ministers or deacons or Bible teachers or ushers or greeters or children's workers or choir members, whatever it is, what an opportunity he has given us to subjugate our personal demands 
and ways for the good of the body. You know, it just, just because we have an opinion doesn't mean it always has to be shared. Sometimes it's just better, it's healthier to let it go for the good of the body. This local church is flawed and defective because we're in it. There's no surprise. Every New Testament letter is written to flawed and defective local churches. And yet the Lord Jesus never turned his back on it. You know what would be good? Could I challenge you to do this? Do you realize we're in a building program? Oh, not just physical building program, which I find personally to be very exciting. I hope you do as well. We're always in a building program. We are to build up this local church so that the character, not just of its individual members, but of the corporate body, looks like Christ. Listen, if I wanted to, but I'm not because I'm, I'm growing up, I, I would name specific churches to you. I'm learning to be more diplomatic. And I could give you the names of certain churches in our city even and in our country, and immediately an image or a perception would, would pop into your mind about the church. It would be positive or negative. You would, have a, you would have a caricature about the church if I named it. What happens to people when the name Sagemont Church is pronounced in the community? What image, what impression, what feel? Here's our opportunity. Make it better. Make it better. So even though we're flawed and defective, and even though we're not doing all we could do, of course we're not. What contribution could you make to make our local church better? Do you know how satisfying that is? It's so unsatisfying to see all that we're not doing. Someone said to me the other day, had this long list of things we're not doing, but I could give that person an even longer list of that which we are doing. And because we are doing so much, we can't do everything. So you could always win the war of critical evaluation by pointing out what we aren't getting done. But I could tell you what we are getting done. And this past Sunday... Um, I, I had to find my way to uh, Dr. Hastings' uh, iConnect class because he and his wife were celebrating their anniversary and I was to teach it, but I couldn't find where it was. <laughs> I've only been here about 13 years. I'm working on it. And uh, it was tucked away who knows where I was, you know. And I started out three days before uh, to get there, and I just couldn't find. And I had such a glorious time being lost in the halls, <laughs> because it was this um, quick smattering of impressions: a, a class here, a conversation there, people uh, bowing their heads and praying there, and one singing here, and others in an embrace over there. And I thought, oh my. What a good flavor. I think a fragrant aroma from this church in the nostrils of Almighty God. Make it better. Don't tear it down.
Give to it your gifts. Give to it your finances. Uh, you know, I'm not ashamed to say something like that. It's the best investment. Take it from a Jewish guy. <laughs> I just don't want to keep investing in me. Burglars could get at it. Inflation could eat it up. I want to give to the local church that the head of the church gave special gifts to. And I'm not really laboring over all the intricacies of the decision-making that others make. I support the process, don't you? I hope so. So we have the opportunity of getting out of ourselves. We're trapped and it's very depressing to be trapped in you. Get out of you. <laughs> and pour yourself out into this local church. And if you cannot do it wholeheartedly and with joy, um, let's talk. Don't leave. Come on. Maybe you're just having a hard time. Need to get over our hurdle. We all go through these ups and downs. You know what I mean? So maybe you will come and uh, privately we can talk. And let me persuade you uh, to invest in this church like never, ever before. I have reasons why I could tell you I think the best is yet to come. What a magnificent church this has been. Uh, and yet I think the best is yet to come. There were two highlights for our church family just recently. Please allow me to do this. I'm rambling now because I want to. And, you know, I, I was at the leadership um, banquet. Uh, I didn't actually get invited, but I came anyway. And no, I'm kidding. And uh, um, I think a lot of us there were tired. You know, it's at the end of the day, and we're, we're, we're tired. Uh, all of us, there's so much to do. And I guess I expected that it was really going to be a good evening, but just a good evening. Oh, no. Do you mind if I use this expression, which is oftentimes overused? It was an anointed evening. I think God visited us. We sang. And as leaders of the church came and uh, submitted their covenant card, and my wife and I started to cry. Do you know how good it is to be part of something bigger than yourself? Do you know how good it is to be on a team? It's a winning team, for not even the gates of hell can prevail against the church. Don't give up on the local church. The Lord Jesus never will, won't. How dare we? It was an exhilarating evening. We were floating we sang, we experienced. It wasn't attributable to anything in particular. It was that God said, trust me through your leadership. <laughs> the hearts are right. Your pastor has a track record of trustworthiness. Relax. Enjoy the ride. Hold up his hands. Get involved. Get outside of yourself. Invest in something so much bigger. And then today, John Mark mentioned it. What an experience to say our temporary goodbyes to Martha. 
and to do the best we could to embrace her family members left behind for a spell. And all homegoing services are wonderful, but it too was an anointed moment for our church family. The songs, our pastors healing hopeful words to grieving family members, just being together as a family. I know there's a lot we're not doing, and you know it as well. I know sometimes we're unkind to one another and sometimes flat out don't like each other. <laughs> I know we have different personalities and styles and likes and dislikes and all the rest. But I just have to tell you, as a guy who's been hanging out in church now for a long time, this one in particular, there's nothing better. There's nothing better. Thanksgiving is coming up. Don't you want to thank God for giving you an opportunity to invest in something much bigger than you? It's us. We're together in this. And thank God Sagemont Church has such a marvelous reputation in our community. We could do better. So how does the church work? Let me just close with this. The church works when we work together in building up the church. Let's not tear it down. Let's cheer for one another. Let's look for strengths rather than weaknesses. Let's thank God for what we are enabled to do. Let's not just focus on what we aren't doing. We could do better, but look how much we're doing. We need each other. Make your contribution. Invest in something far greater than yourself. Lord Jesus, the church, the church, the ecclesia, the body, the bride, the dwelling, the household of God. It's sacred, it is holy, it is precious. And oh God, we don't want to be a bunch of special interest people here. It's so exhilarating to to be part of the building up of this local body. Oh, God, would you help us if we're grumbling maybe sometimes a little too much and if we're criticizing, I don't know, sometimes a little too much. This is our family. You put us here. It isn't good, Lord Jesus, if our pastor or pastors uh, don't experience joy in the doing of what they're doing. Thank you for giving gifts to the church. Thank you for giving us to each other here in this place. I must tell you, Lord Jesus, we are jealous of your glory. We want your glory to go out more and more and more like crazy. And we would love it if you would see fit to glorify yourself even more through this church, Sagemont Church. Every person here is a contributor. Help us each, Lord Jesus, to make our contribution. And thank you for giving us something to invest in that goes far beyond ourselves. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.